All right, we are in week two of a series that we are calling Upright. Upright. And this series comes from the scripture verse, and if we have it, we can throw it up there. It's actually the verse that's on the main graphic there. Proverbs 2, verse 7 and 8 says this, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, and he preserves the way of his godly ones. That verse stood out to me a few weeks ago and really was the launching point for this series. The idea is this, and if you missed last week, here's kind of the, the, the chance to get caught up. Here's the main idea. The Bible refers several times to the path of the upright, that there are things that God says, if you would walk on this path, if you would do these things, if you would follow these guidelines, things are going to go well for you. Life is going to go better for you. I know some people don't like to hear this because it makes them think that Christians are so narrow-minded, but what we believe the Scripture says is there is a way to live that is the best way to live. And the more we veer off of that, the more we try to find our own way, the more we trip over things, it seems like we get ourselves into trouble and we, we lose that path that God wants us to walk, the upright path. So we want to walk in a, in a way that leads to good things, right? We want to walk the path of the upright. Last week, we talked about one of the definitions of upright is in alignment, in alignment. And maybe you've gone to the chiropractor before where everything felt out of alignment and one hand was numb and you couldn't walk in a straight line, you know, and, and then the, a few cracks with the chiropractor and all of a sudden you're like, oh man, that feels great. I love that feeling. Well, that's kind of spiritually what we're talking about. There is a way to walk in alignment with what God wants. And we want to do that. So over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is one at a time, we're going to talk about some of these things that God says, if you want things to go well for you, do this. It's pretty straightforward. We see it in Scripture. And today, we're looking at one of the things that God teaches us to do, and that's confession. Confession. All right? Now, some of you are like, oh, man, because you think confession, you think, you know, you gotten in trouble and you got to fess up, right? Or, or, you know, good cop, bad cop situation with the single light bulb and someone's, you know, yelling at your face getting you to confess something. Confession is simply just admitting fault, to stop hiding your guilt, to bring something to light that was hidden. And that definition there is really what we're going to talk about today. Bring something into the light that was hidden. And God says, it's very simple, God says, if you do this, things are going to go well for you. Good things are going to happen. So we got to start here with this. Have any of you ever been guilty? No, I'm not wearing a wire. It's not a trap or anything. Like, I'm not talking like criminal stuff. There's not like, a, there's not like an FBI van out back. We're not trying to trap you. But have you ever been guilty of something and you found it difficult to admit it? Maybe it was something in a relationship. You wronged somebody and that guilt was there. You had a hard time. Maybe it was something in your marriage or your family. Maybe it was something that was started out just as a little white lie and it, it kinda, you kind of kept getting caught by it and you kept having to lie more or it kind of snowballed from there. And after a while, you're like, I can't keep this up anymore. I thought of a story this week that has to do with my extended family. Um, Christy's family, we go on vacation with them. This would have been like several years ago, maybe 18, 19 years ago, where the oldest grandchild, Reed, was maybe three or four. And Grandpa Roger decided he was going to take Reed and maybe Chase at the time. You know, they were rambunctious youngsters that needed to have, you know, some get some energy out. So Roger took them to a Burger King that had a play place, you know, with the slides and everything. So this was great. Reed and I think Chase maybe was in there. And they were playing in the play place. Now what had happened in, in their family was they talked to Reed and they were teaching him, listen, you tell the truth. You always tell the truth. When somebody asks you about something, you always answer truthfully. Okay? You don't hide things from everybody. This is what 
they were teaching Reed. And so in the process of playing in the slides at Burger King, as what tends to happen with some little boys, is that they have to go to the bathroom really bad. But they're having so much fun, they can't imagine quitting the play place and the slides to go leave and go to the bathroom. So inevitably what happened is Reed went to the bathroom in the play place, okay? And it was enough that it started like dripping down, you know, the slide and leaking out of the tubes. And I think part of it was leaking onto the place where they have all the shoes. And so at that point, everyone kind of notices this foreign substance dripping down, and it doesn't take long to realize what's happening. And so the moms that are in there, they get up, and they're like moving shoes, and you don't mess with the play place moms. They will mess you up. So they were, they were looking, and finally one of them said, who peed in the playset? Now Reed's teaching kicked in in that moment. I'm supposed to tell the truth. So instantly, loudly, with his hand up, Reed said, I did. I peed in the slide. I peed. And so, <laughs> and so Grandpa Roger was there saying, oh, man, Reed, maybe not so loud with the confession. I understand the heart. I understand the motive behind it, but maybe let's confess quietly after the, after the fact. We don't, need to, we don't need to make it so loud so that everyone knows, but Reed handled himself where, well there. It was, I'm guilty, and I confess. I'm not going to hide it. Uh, there might have even been some pride there, right? If I know Reed, he might have been saying, yeah, that was me. What up? So I contrast that to stories when I remember when I was a kid, and there were times when me and the other neighborhood kids, we would have gotten in trouble for something. That happened quite a bit. And either we were lined up in front of a teacher or maybe the principal or maybe someone else's parent, and all of us were in a line and there was an interrogation going on. Who did this? What were you thinking? I want to know who was responsible for whatever it was, hurting this person or breaking this or whatever it was. And all of us, we had an understanding. We're not saying a word, right? Because all of us are together. So we would just stand there and listen to the interrogation, and none of us would give anything because we knew as soon as one cracks, we're all done. So our, mod our motto was very different than Reed's. It was don't admit to anything, and we'll get out of this unscathed. That was me as a kid. Never confess, right? It's like times when my parents, when it was me and my parents, and I would have done something wrong, and they would say, what do you know about this? Instantly, my mind would go, and this is probably, you know, showing some of my inner darkness, but my, my mind would go, instantly, it's like, and I didn't think of it then, but I think of it like it this way now. It's like a hand of poker, right? And you've got your cards, and you're like, what cards are they holding? So they would say, what do you know about this? And I'm like, how much do they know? How much do they know? How much do I have to admit to? What's the, the least I could admit to in order to get this thing to move on? Do I, do, I bluff, you know, do I fold and confess to anything and just lay down my cards and say, you got me, you got me beat? Or do I bluff my way through this and see if I can get out the other side unscathed? I had many times where I did that as a child growing up. Well, we see that in our, you know, even this last week, our news cycle seems to be constantly bombarded with accusations about certain people and, you know, there are some times where there are serious accusations, and I'm not making light of any of those. And sometimes I believe they are exaggerated, and sometimes they are right on, and I'm not commenting on that at all. But there's a fairly predictable, you know, order of events when somebody well-known is accused of something. There's first, it's denial. I don't know anything about it. I don't know anything about it. And then there's kind of some evidence that catches them in that lie. Well, I, I knew it was happening, but I wasn't a part of it. And then the next step is, well, I guess I kind of was a part of it a little bit. And then someone says, well, why have you been lying this whole time? I wasn't lying this whole time. You know, I'm sorry if you thought I was lying. I was just, uh, I w it was a creative uh, a application of the truth is what I was doing. I, I wasn't lying. I was just not telling the truth. And it just keeps going from there. Isn't it refreshing when somebody just comes out and apologizes? Don't you find that when somebody just says, you know what? I messed up. 
I apologize. There's no excuse. I'm not going to make an excuse for it. I find that so refreshing. And maybe you felt that on times when you've had to keep up a lie or you had to keep up a facade. You were trying to keep something hidden. Perhaps you did something you didn't want anyone to know. Perhaps it's a small lie, like I mentioned, that kind of snowballed from there. And the longer it goes, the bigger it gets, the more weight of guilt is on you. Like, I can't keep this up. I've read articles of, of people who, you know, you've ever heard those stories of the people that had like the total double life? Like they had their family here in Minnesota, and then it's uncovered they had a whole other family. They were married to another person and had a whole other family in another part of the country. And I instantly think, man, how in the world do you keep those details straight? You know, as a detail person, I, could, I can't even remember my own kids' names. Um, but then after a while, I've heard a few stories of after a while, the weight of the facade and the constant lying just got so much that when they were finally found out, there was a sense of relief. They said, I, I know there's consequences, but I just feel relief so that I can stop with the lying. I can start being honest. They felt this relief because the guilt was so exhausting. Well, guilt is powerful, isn't it? It's not just mental. Guilt causes anxiety. Guilt in us can cause headaches, stomach aches, muscle tension, sleep problems, and more. In addition, guilt causes us to feel on edge and defensive and irritable. And if you've ever talked to someone you know is guilty, maybe it's your kid, and you're met with a very harsh, irritable, defensive response, right away you're like, well, clearly I know you're guilty, right? Because of your response. And on the contrary, there have been medical studies done to the benefits of confession, just expressing the truth the medical, physical benefits of that. There was an exercise where people who were battling just hurt or guilt or failure, they were encouraged to just take a notebook and write it out in great detail, write out all their fears and the things they were feeling guilty for and the ways they feel like a failure. And they just wrote it out. And even with the understanding that nobody was going to read this written confession, just the process of them getting it out caused them to feel better. They were able to look at their circumstances with a different perspective, realizing it wasn't a big deal. They didn't feel like they had to keep it hidden because in a small way they had already expressed it. They had laid it down. They had gotten rid of it. They had expressed their confession and they physically felt better, like a weight had been lifted off of them. So here's the main idea for today. How we handle our wrongdoing is crucial. How we handle our wrongdoing is crucial. Now, we can deflect and deny and keep up the facade, or we can confess and bring it into the light where there is healing and forgiveness. And God says, if you want to live a life that is strong and in alignment and upright, confess, bring things into the light. So I want us to look at confession differently, not as like resigned defeat, well, I guess I finally need to confess but as something that is the start of wholeness and healing and strength and an upright life. And I want to look at, most of our time, I want to look at confession in our relationship with God. But also, we know confession applies to our relationship with other people, doesn't it? When you've wronged somebody, how do you handle that? So first, our relationship with God. And I kind of have to kind of lay this foundational truth, and this is probably not new news to any of you or maybe to most of you. But here's what we believe reading from Scripture, that God is holy, God is perfect and just, and anything we do that falls short of His perfect holiness is sin. 
So that's anything we do that falls short of that is sin, which is a lot, right? You know, we're never going to hit that perfect bullseye of God's holiness. We tend to think of sin as like a bucket where just the really bad behaviors go, oh, that, that there is sin. Oh, that person's behavior, that's sin. Really, anything we all do that falls short of God's holiness is sin. This is what we read in the Scripture. So it's not if we sin. It's that we are sinful. And because God is perfect and holy and just, he can't tolerate sin. He can't be around it. Sin causes a separation between us and God. And it's not because God is mean. It's because God is holy. He can't be around it. Sin separates us from God. So how we handle our sin is crucial. We have a scripture verse from Leviticus chapter 5. And this is when God is teaching the Israelites in the Old Testament how to follow him, how to be his people. He's giving them the law. And this is what he says to them in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5. It says this, When you become aware of your guilt, in any of these ways you must confess your sin. Then you must bring to the Lord as a penalty for your sin a female from the flock, either a sheep or a goat. This is a sin offering with which the priest will purify you from your sin, making you right with the Lord. So that is still in the system of the Old Testament animal sacrifice. But what happened before you brought your offering for the penalty for your sin to be paid was what? You have to first confess. Confess it. Don't hide it. Bring it into the light. And then you can make an offering. And then your relationship with God will be restored. Without confession, there is still that separation between us and God. So we jump ahead to the New Testament because we don't sacrifice animals anymore to pay the penalty for our sin, because this is the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to earth to die for us, for our sins. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin once and for all, not just our past sins, but our future sins, which is amazing. Forgiveness is purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we will never exhaust the mercy of Jesus. And to that, that's a big hallelujah and amen from us, right? We will never exhaust the mercy of Jesus Christ, but yet we still need to bring our sins into the light and confess. In 1 John 1 verse 5, it says this, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness... So if we claim to be right with God and yet we have all these things hidden in our life, all this darkness hidden in life, if we do that, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Verse 8 says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. It's, the key is confession. Unconfessed sin is a hindrance still to our relationship with God. We have to bring it into the light. We have to bring it into the light. We must have regular times of confession. Now, maybe you grew up in a church tradition where this involved, maybe a Catholic tradition where you went to the priest and you had to sit in the booth and tell the priest something. That's fine. I mean, confession is confession. Getting it out. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe you have a close friend that you can say, hey, I am, I am struggling with this. But here's the truth today. You don't need to go through another person. You can talk right to God. You can confess it to God because that's the most important, to have that honest, open conversation with our Heavenly Father and say, I have failed 
in this. I am struggling with this. I have this thing that's hidden that nobody knows about, and I need mercy and forgiveness. And when we bring it into the light like that, that's when there's healing that can take place. When we cover it up thinking, oh, I'm just going to make everything look good on the outside. I'm going to keep the facade so that nobody knows that I'm struggling. That's when it, you know, that's when worse problems happen. So we have those moments where we confess to God, say, I need your, conf- I need your forgiveness. These attitudes, these behaviors, this sin, this addiction that I keep tripping over, I need your healing. I want to bring it to the light because we know nothing good happens when we keep it in the dark. Things grow. Things fester. It's like, uh, well, here's an illustration I had, and I had to ask Christy's permission to share this story, and you'll understand why in a moment. After Charlie was born, our son Charlie was born 12 weeks premature. So the day he was born, it was a rush to the hospital, preterm labor, rush into the emergency room, the surg- the, to rush into emergency C-section surgery. And so Christy had a C-section where they make an incision in the lower abdomen, and you, most of you would know this, and then Charlie was born that way. Well then, so in addition to facing the reality of Charlie in his first few weeks of not knowing if he's going to make it, not knowing what sort of health problems there would be, Christy was also recovering from this surgery, this rather serious surgery. And we noticed after a, few, after a couple of weeks, her incision, they had removed the stitches, but there was a part in the middle of the incision that wasn't closing up. It's like there was a, a gap there. And there was like space behind it. And I, we were kind of gross. I'm like, that's weird. We got to go back to the doctor. They got to restitch that up. So we went back to the doctor and we said, yeah, there's part of the incision that's not healing up. So we need to restitch it. And the doctor said, the doctor said, well, we can't restitch it because there's actually a pocket behind it. There's like actual open space behind it. Sorry if this is grossing you out, but there's open space behind it. And if we stitch up on the surface, that's going to continue to be there. That's not going to heal. It's just going to get infected and cause all sorts of other problems. So my first thought was, well, that's a whole pocket of space. That's That would come in handy if you were trying to smuggle stuff across a border or something like that, right? You'd never get caught by the border agents that way. But the doctor said, so what we're going to do is we're going to take really thin strips of gauze and we're going to pack it in there. And we're going to do that twice a day. Sorry, gross. Twice a day. And what it's going to do is it's going to cause healing to come from the inside. And eventually that incision is just going to heal itself. So my thought was, who, who is going to do that, doctor? Are we coming into the clinic twice a day? And they said to me, words I'll never forget, no, Jeff, you can, you're going to do that at home. And my eyes got big, and the only person in the room with eyes bigger than mine were Christie's, because she was like, you want my husband to do what now? And so twice a day for a couple of weeks, we had to go in with, like, sterile Q-tips, and I had to pack that little gap with gauze tape, and then we'd go in later, and we'd pull out the gauze tape and then replace it. And every time we would say, oh, man, our vows did not have this at all, right? We did say in sickness and in health, so I guess that covers it. But that was a moment where we said, wow, we are really in this together. But what happened was it took work. It took effort. It was weird. But what happened was after a while, it started to heal up from the inside. It would have done no good to stitch it up and to pretend everything was fine. Healing had to take place. And the point of that is, which you probably won't forget it now, When we refuse to confess our sin, when we live under a facade and we say, just make it look good on the outside, nobody needs to know what's going on on the inside of my heart. 
Nobody needs to know about this hidden darkness, this hidden sin, this hidden you know, battle that I'm fighting, these things that I'm feeling guilty of. When we just put on the facade, the sin festers inside of us and it grows and that darkness grows. Everything might look fine on the outside for a while, but eventually it's going to grow and it's going to get worse. You need to bring it into the light. You need to allow that healing to come, the light to come on the inside and heal from the inside. In Genesis, there's a story of Cain and Abel. They were the sons of Adam and Eve. So this is very early on in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel brought an offering to the Lord, and God accepted Abel's offering, but Cain's offering was half-hearted at best, and God rejected Cain's offering. And Cain was bitter, and he was upset. And there's these words in Genesis chapter 4 that are so key, making sure our projector is still working. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. This is God's response to Cain, and it says this. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. When we allow our sin, our sinful attitudes or actions to dwell, when we don't bring it into the light and confess, sin is just waiting around. Have you ever tripped over something? You're like, man, why do I keep tripping over this bad habit or this addiction or whatever this is? We know that there is an enemy of our soul that wants to trip us up, to ensnare us. Another translation of that verse says, sin is crouching at the door waiting to devour you. And when we allow those attitudes to linger, it's just a matter of time before something grabs a hold of our lives and we're like, man, I did not see this coming. Man, I did not see that sin tearing my life apart or my family apart or whatever it was. There is, an, there is an enemy of our soul that is trying to trap us and to devour you. And when we allow even those little things to linger in the dark and we don't bring them into the light, it's just opening the door for the enemy to come in and trap us and to ensnare us and to have sin grow and fester and have it take over our life. And all of a sudden we realize, man, we, where did this addiction come from? Where did this battle come from? I didn't see this coming. Because we have to bring it into the light and that is where we will find healing on the inside. You contrast that with King David in the Old Testament. So there's Cain who had those bad attitudes, and God said, if you keep having that attitude, it's just a matter of time before sin reaches out and grabs you. And we know that Cain, you know, one chapter later, Cain ends up murdering his brother. So clearly that, you know, sin was close to the door at that point. Well, you contrast that with King David. King David was known as a man after God's own heart. But you look at his life, There was a day when King David got drunk and had an affair with somebody else's wife and then tried to cover it up. And when that didn't work, and he got this wife pregnant and then tried to cover that up. And when that didn't work, he had the other husband killed. So this is some serious stuff. How in the world can it be that David was known known as a man after God's own heart? And I believe it was because when David was confronted with his sin... Immediately, he was quick to confess, to humble himself, and to say, I have sinned. And in Psalm 51, you can read that, that chapter where David's prayer to God was, I have sinned you, I sinned against you, God. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. Wipe out my transgression. It's, a, it's against you and you only have I sinned. He didn't deflect it. He didn't make excuses for it. He confessed. He brought it into the light. And that is the attitude that God can heal and look at and bring healing and restoration. Confession is when the light comes in and healing can take place. So whether it's to another person, someone at church, 
you know, I remember the scene from Goonies. I was thinking of the scene from Goonies when Chuck, Chunk is, you know, trapped by the Fratelli boys, and they're like, spill your guts, tell us everything you've done. And he goes, and then the third grade, I cheated on my math exam, and in the fourth grade, I, I pushed my sister down the stairs and blamed it on the dog. You know, you remember that scene? That's a great scene. You don't need to go, you don't need to have everything, right? It can be just a heart that is open. There are times in my prayer time, it's a regular thing that I do, and it needs to be a regular thing as a part of your prayer life. Just a confession. Just a confession. You're not revealing to God anything he doesn't already know, right? He already knows it. But he wants you to bring it to the light so that healing can take place. The same thing applies to our relationships with other people as well. We just have a few minutes left, and I just wanted to wrap up with this. We're always going to have conflict in our relationships. Have you ever, ever known someone or been friends with someone who would refuse to apologize or refuse to admit they had done anything wrong? It is hard to have relationships like that. Certainly, that would affect a marriage. Christy and I, when we have times when we're fighting, and you might be shocked to hear that, but there are times, one or two times, when we are disagreeing about something. As long as we are of the refusing to admit fault and blaming the other person, man, it just seems like we're just digging ourselves a pit, right? It just seems to go on and on. But then there's always a moment where we switch. And I wish times where we would both, I wish I could get to that moment quicker because when it gets to that moment where we acknowledge the hurt that we have caused and we confess it and we apologize, that's when the relationship grows and that's when it can be stronger. That's when the healing in whatever fight is going on, that can happen. That is certainly the case in marriage. But any relationship, if you have wronged someone or hurt someone, as long as you defend it and make excuses, it's not going to get better. That relationship can't move forward. Jesus taught this in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is teaching as part of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come offer your gift. What Jesus is teaching is the importance of confessing with one another. If there's a relationship that is broken. Or you, he even says, take care of this first. You could be at church, you could be doing your spiritual act of worship, and you remember, there's a relationship that's broken, and it's my fault. Well, leave. Jesus is saying, take care of that first. That's more important. Take care of that first. Make sure there is humility. Make sure there is confession. It's, a, it's an act of worship when we go and we confess or apologize to somebody else. If you have a broken relationship in your world, confession is where you start. Now, there might still be consequences after the fact. But confession is where you start. Let your guard down. Be humble. Apologize for wrongdoing. And this is the foundation for any relationship. Family, marriage, friendship, any relationship. That's how it can grow. I have friendships that, have, that were really great friendships, and they've kind of faded away over the last few years because there was a refusal to acknowledge any sort of wrongdoing or any, we, there was no way we could talk through any of the hurt that had been done. It was, it was a facade situation. Let's just pretend everything's fine. Well, after a while, you're just like, man, this relationship can't grow. This friendship can't grow. And on the contrary, I have friendships that, are, that have lasted, that are stronger today because we've done the work of confession, apology, reconciliation. We've done the work of making sure there's open, honest communication where a relationship can grow. And I have one other important point for us as a church as a whole. And that's this. 
A church needs to be a safe place for people to do this, right? None of us are perfect. I don't think anyone's going to put their hand up and say, I am, I am totally nailing life, right? I am on fire because I'm not messing up anything. We are all flawed. We all have things that we mess up in. So as a result, when we have people in the community come in who are hurting, who are weighed down, this needs to be an environment where they feel safe to say, you know what? I'm struggling with this. You know what? I am broken in this. I am battling this. We have people in our community that are battling depression, anxiety. They're struggling with an addiction. Their marriage is falling apart. There's something in their life. Sin has been crouching at the door and has taken them down, and they are battling with something. And they need to know this is a place where they can say, I'm struggling here. Can you help me? And it's got to be a place where we say, yeah, welcome to the club. We all, this person over here battled through that exact thing. Let's, let's help you through this. Let's point you to Jesus and say, start here, a relationship with Jesus. But it has to be something where we welcome people in and say, this is a safe place to admit that you are not perfect. You know, shocking news, right? But some people don't want to go to a church because they think it's just full of people pretending to be perfect when they're just as messed up as anybody else. We want to stop the pretending, right? We want to stop the facade and have this be a place where people can come in and lay down their burdens and just say, I am struggling. I need help. And we rally around them and say, yeah, let's move towards Jesus together. Let's grow in faith together, right? This is what we want our church to be. This is what I want our church to be. This is a place for people to come in who have messed up. Where else are they going to go? Where else are they going to go? This is the place where we bring things into the light in a loving environment, and there is healing and restoration available. Amen? This is what I want our church to become. So as we wrap up today, I just, I need you to know this. I need you to know this. As you ponder what confession in your life could look like, as you, there, there are going to be people in this room today that you have something that you have been keeping in the dark for so long and it's just eating away at you. Bring it to the light. Bring it to the light. Start out by just openly confessing it to God. He already knows. He already knows every struggle you've got. If you want to talk to someone else, you can talk to me, you can talk to Christy, you can talk to somebody else in this church. We are a loving community that is going to say, let's pray through this. Let's openly walk through this towards healing and wholeness and restoration. And you have to know this. I mentioned it earlier. Your sin has been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Not just sins that used to take place. Times when you will mess up in the future. His mercy is never exhausted. His mercy never runs out. There is mercy and forgiveness if you confess and bring it to Jesus. Amen? There is mercy that's never going to run out. You have to know that today. You can reveal the inner things that are just causing you shame or guilt or whatever it is because there is mercy and salvation and healing in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together as we close. Jesus, we thank you for that mercy. We thank you for that mercy. We thank you for that faithfulness. And Lord, I just take a moment and I pray for people here who are just, they're struggling because they've got something going on that they feel they need to keep hidden, but it's eating away at them. And sin is getting a hold of their life because they refuse to just bring it into the light and find healing and wholeness. So Lord, for those people who are here today, and this really applies to all of us in some way or another, we confess to you 
Even in this moment, this quiet moment right now, we confess to you we are broken and we are sinful. And again, we need your mercy to come in and cleanse us. But for those who have something that they have been holding on to for so long, I pray that you would lovingly speak to their hearts today. Help them to know that they are safe in your care, that there is mercy and love and forgiveness and healing ahead of them if they will open it up and bring the darkness into the light. So we pray that you would do that today. And for all of us, help us to walk in confidence knowing that we are in your mercy, that you're under your mercy, that we are children of God as we've been singing about today. Your promises for us are true, that you give us forgiveness and mercy, that you give us not only forgiveness for our sin, but victory over the power of sin in our life. And we walk in freedom and confidence today knowing that that is what you have provided for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thank you for being here at Homestead, everybody. God bless you. Uh, Have a wonderful day. We'll see you later.